Welcome to Word from the Mountaintop, a weekly inspirational podcast brought to you from the Mountain Luther Parish. Today's Word of the Lord will be shared by Pastor Jason or Pastor Jess Felici. This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, with, and fields, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you've been to Costco or Walmart in the past month or two, then you know that the aisles have been crammed full of candy for Halloween for quite a long time now. Yes, Halloween trick-or-treat might not be until the end of this month, but the candy creators and the warehouse managers and owners want us to stock up and stockpile for the holiday that is coming. Now, as a kid, it was such a rush to come home after making the rounds of trick-or-treating through our neighborhood, and when we would get home, we would go into the living room and my brother and I would ceremoniously dump out all of the candy that we had crammed into our bag for trick-or-treating. Every piece would be inspected. 
Perhaps a few cautious trades would be made between us. And then each one of us got our own bowl to keep Cavity Central in, separate from the other one of us. Now, the thing is, in our household growing up, there were two very different philosophies to eating Halloween candy. I'll let you guess who was who between my brother and I. Because at Halloween, there are two philosophies. There are the hogs, and there are the hoarders. The hogs dive right into the bowl, scarf down all of their favorites the first night, eat until they literally can eat no more candy, and then finish it up by taking candy with them to school to eat at lunch and snack and whatever, and they go through their candy in a couple of days, maybe a week. And then there are the hoarders. They not only stretch out the lifespan of their goodies until Thanksgiving or Christmas, or possibly, if they do this thing really well, the next Easter, so that all, there's always candy available in the hoarder's bowl, right? Uh, they also are very regimented, allowing themselves only one or two favorites per day, mixing in some of the less desirables like Mounds and Almond Joy and all those ones you didn't really want from the pack, in with the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and the other things that were really exciting. You could probably guess which one of those I am. But to be honest, there are obvious problems with both approaches. The hogs either get horrible stomach aches or suffer an out-of-control sugar rush that leads them to get in trouble, most likely getting grounded by my parents for eating 15 or 20 pieces of candy in one sitting. The hoarder, on the other hand, lords their I-still-have-candy status over their brother for a month or two, but eventually one of two things happens. They end up with stale, rock-hard candy, or, and this happened a few more times than I care to admit, the bowl would keep getting pushed back further and further in the pantry until said hoarder forgot that there was Halloween candy in the closet until they get ready for Easter or Halloween the next year. Now, as funny as this Halloween exercise is, when we are kids, we develop these habits of how we use our stuff. In this case, something tangible and finite like Halloween candy. But as we grow, those things that we do with the Halloween candy and other things that we have inform how we deal with our possessions at a later age. And even when we grow up and we are entrusted with wealth, money, we tend to have the same habits as we grow. So we can use this image of hogs and hoarders to think about how we deal with our wealth in overly broad categories. When Pastor Jess and I were teaching Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, the guy who came up with the class and teaches the class over video, would always say that there are two types of people, spenders and savers, right? Hogs and hoarders, kind of same department here. And maybe 
just maybe in this one particular class where he's teaching this, you could use the argument that you are in the middle. Right? You're not quite a saver, you're not quite a spender, you're a little bit of both. But he doesn't allow you to do that. You have to take a quiz and you have to identify yourself as either a spender or a saver. And the reason you do that is because part of the lesson is to realize that no matter which one of these we are, we are bombarded with information and advertisements from, you know, folks in the world, from companies, from advisors, how to better save or spend our money, right? Savers are not off the hook in this department because banks, online brokerages, family members, friends with that amazing investment scheme that always sounds too good to be true, but you really need to get in on it on the ground floor, right? All of that kind of stuff is, is targeted towards savers. And savers are targeted for how we should save our money. But then there are spenders, and oh my, the spenders have it really good. Right? The advertisers love to talk to the spenders. And we have things like eBay and Facebook Marketplace and Costco, the mall, yard sales, you name it. The list goes on and on, right? If you're a spender, you know where you like to spend your money. And of course, the most fun in this lesson in financial peace is to lovingly proclaim that savers or spenders, whichever one you are in the class, is the right thing to be. That this being the saver is the correct thing, or being, no, 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 being the spender is the correct thing. And I'm not trying to give away any spoilers in the lesson, but at the end of the lesson, the point is not that one is better than the other. The point is that you are to learn who you are, a spender or a saver, and then to come up with strategies to be the best, you know, the, the best and most faithful with your money, whether you're a spender or a saver, as you can be. There's no one that is better than the other. There's no one that is more faithful than the other. Now, it's interesting to use that word faith, right? Talking about money and stuff. But, but for those of us who say that faith is simply a spiritual matter, that Jesus doesn't worry about things like earthly things, like how we spend or save our money, well... That's the case, and we haven't been to church on this particular Sunday. Because if nothing else, the gospel text makes it clear that Jesus does have ideas about this. He does care about the earthly things that we do. This poor fellow, <laughs> this poor guy, good teacher, he says, to the Lord Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what seems like such a simple spiritual question that I'm sure that the man thought he was going to get a simple spiritual answer to opens up a huge can of worms that even he was not expecting. When Jesus starts, he, he goes to where we might expect him to when he gets this question. He starts reciting a number of the commandments as the starting point of living a life pleasing to God. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus starts 
name some of these commandments. You know, you, you do this, you do this, you know, these are some ways to live a faithful life. And the man responds, teacher, teacher, good news. I have kept all of these since my youth, said the man. And, and I laugh at this because even if you and I, having experience in trying to keep these commandments, like, remember, Jesus included the honor your father and mother went in here. Okay? Right? Even if we doubt that he kept these perfectly all the way through his entire life, even if you and I doubt that this might be true, let's say for the sake of argument that the man is honest and has an impeccable record on keeping these commandments. After all, Jesus does refute it. Right? That's it. You did it, right? Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you lack one thing. One thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And at this, the man goes away grieving because he had many possessions. Now these words are perplexing to the disciples. Perplexing, the text says. And maybe they're perplexing for all of us. I mean, how willing are we to truly sell all of our possessions and give away everything all of the proceeds from that to others, to the poor, to those who are in need. Well, as I reflect on my life, I know that I have not done this in my own life. Right? I have possessions that, in theory, I need in order to be able to be in ministry, to live with my family, to have a roof over our head, on and on and on. So if that's the case, how could we, the pastors or the church, expect this of every single believer? Doesn't seem to jive, right? And the disciples also have reason to be perplexed, right? Because they've given up everything that they have. Homes, jobs, and a couple of them just got off the boat and left without even pulling out of water. Families, they left everything to follow Jesus. But they get stuck on Jesus' words. How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it will be, children, to enter the kingdom of God. And these statements, this text, makes us ask uncomfortable questions. It makes us think. Well, does Jesus think I'm rich? I, I don't think I'm rich. Does Jesus? I'm not rich. Right? Try to kind of weasel ourselves out of the exception loop of the text. Uh, or, well, does my wealth make me less faithful to God? No, 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 no. Or, or well, pastor, what about, and then name incredibly wealthy and faithful person here, uh, the first person that came to my mind when I thought of this is Dolly Parton. <laughs> Not sure why. 
Um, maybe she came on the radio at that point. But, but Dolly Parton works here, right? She's got rock-solid faith, sings great gospel music, and she's incredibly wealthy and uses her wealth to uh, give to those who were burned out in Gatlinburg when the fires happened, and she donates to causes in the mountains of eastern Tennessee for kids who uh, need a, a, you know, help to get out of their situation and poverty there. She sends books to the kids all around the world. She uh, donated money for the vaccine. Right? Dolly's incredible, right? What about Dolly? She does wonderful things with her wealth for the poor, with her money. I, Jesus certainly can't be. What's he talking about here? But here's the thing. For Jesus, the question isn't about the wealth itself. Right? It isn't only about the wealth itself, but it's also about how much trust we put in our wealth. This is where the man goes away discouraged. Right? Because his trust is in the power and value of those possessions. The man goes away grieved because he has lots of possessions. But think about his response to Jesus. That makes no sense. Jesus knows he has a lot of possessions. He told him to sell them and give the money to the poor. But the man would not even consider that as a rational possibility. And so he goes away grieved. Now Luther writes, about this man's condition in his commentary on the first commandment in the catechism, right? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, right? And Luther says, what we put our trust in is our God. Now, oftentimes when we think about having no other gods before me, we think about other gods, right? Like the Greek gods or Zeus or whomever. But Luther also goes on to say that there are other gods besides, you know, the Greek gods or the non-god gods, um, like our mammon, right? Wealth. So Luther says no other gods means not our stuff, not our bank account, not our land, not our job, whatever it is that we put our trust in, that is our God, thereby breaking the first commandment. Now for Jesus, the heart of this teaching is not only poking in the hole that we can't keep the first commandment, but it's also in teaching us about the great reversal that is coming in the kingdom of God. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now let's be honest. This type of logic only makes sense with God. And I don't mean it in a sense that, you know, in the way that I use it. You know, first shall be last and the last shall be first. So at the potluck, I can have dessert first and then get to the end of the line for the main meals, right? Because that's, you know, the last shall be first. That's my justification there, dessert first potluck. But it's not just simple things like that. Wealth does not purchase us a place at God's banquet. Right? On earth, 
wealth or money or possessions are a level of value. And we either use the money or trade our possessions or sell them in order to have value to purchase other things. Not so in the kingdom of God. Wealth cannot buy us God's favor. And at the same time, right, first shall be last and the last shall be first. The lack of wealth does not put us on the outside looking in. God doesn't look at a person who makes it through life and never really acquires all that many early earthly possessions and says, well, they did something wrong. They're obviously not going to be at the head of this table. In eternal life, it will not matter what we have stored up on earth. That will be of no value in the age to come. Now, you know, we have names for certain Sundays, right? Like Pentecost Sunday and Doubting Thomas Sunday, Good Shepherd Sunday. If I could name this Sunday, it'd be You Ain't Never Seen a Hearse with a Luggage Rack Sunday. You're allowed to laugh. It's okay. It's a joke. Because you know that the Lutheran Church is never going to go for that. I could send that into Chicago and they'd send it right back with no Pastor Felici. But that's what this Sunday is, in essence. What we have now is of no value in the age to come. We do not need to purchase our place in God's favor because our place has already been purchased by Jesus. Not because of who we are or how much earthly stuff we've acquired or how great we are or all the things we've done. It's not that. It's the blood of Jesus. Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, this is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. So for Jesus, we need not be hogs or hoarders with the Halloween candy this year. We need not worrying about being spenders or savers or being overly focused on any of our other possessions, for that matter. Instead, we should be focused on and put our trust in the one who blesses us with those possessions and all that we have. We should remember that they are temporary, and we should be generous and quick to share and thankful for all that has been entrusted to us. And we should be confident that all of these things, all of our earthly possessions, mean absolutely nothing. Zilch! When it comes to our eternal salvation. Because in that, we are called to put our trust in God and in God alone. And when we do that, we can be thankful that we are loved and forgiven of our sins, not based on our earthly fortune, but out of the mercy of our Heavenly Father. So may we leave all that keeps us from focusing on that behind and follow Jesus on that path into the glorious age to come. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And for further messages from our clergy, feel free to visit wordfromthemountaintop.org.